Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. Delighted to have as my guests in this episode, Dr. Chelsea Dorsey and Dr. Jeff Matthews. Dr. Dorsey is a vascular surgeon and the vice chair of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the Department of Surgery at the University of Chicago. And Dr. Matthews is the chief of surgery at the University of Chicago. They join Explore the Space to discuss the remarkable work that they've been doing, creating what is clearly a template for a sustainable, reproducible, and effective infrastructure for doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work, DEI work. It's, it's a really great mindset that they have, the collaborative approach that they share, the vision that they both have, and the, the way that Chelsea is approaching her responsibilities, her role, and the impact that it's already beginning to have is really a fascinating thing to start to flesh out. And the way that they both describe the impetus for it, the barriers that they're dealing with, the motivating factors and just the way to tackle the 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 grinding slow steady work to build infrastructure to normalize DEI work absolutely fascinating this was a fantastic conversation and I'll just say up front packed show notes lots of links Chelsea references a couple of things we talk about a couple of the things that, that she's written and that she and Jeff have worked on but there's a lot more in the show notes so please do take a look great stuff to save to bookmark to share should all be open source, nothing behind a paywall. So definitely make good use of it and enjoy this. They were absolutely fantastic. And this was a, a wonderful conversation to have. I'm, I'm really proud that we were able to have a conversation like this on Explore the Space podcast. Please do check out the whole archive of Explore the Space podcast. Well over 300 episodes now. It's a packed archive. Lots of great stuff in there. www.explorethespaceshow.com. And feel free to email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com or hit me on Twitter at ETS Show. Instagram at Explore the Space Show. And thank you also to the Women in Medicine Summit for helping make this episode possible. The Women in Medicine Summit is a fantastic conference held in Chicago, where Chelsea and Jeff are from. September 22nd and 23rd. It's a conference for everybody, and it is an amazing opportunity to really plant your feet solidly amidst the major challenges that we're facing as a profession, that we're facing within the fabric of America, quite honestly. And also to just meet, collaborate with, and, and become friends with some of just the most extraordinary people. Dr. Shika Jane, who runs the Women in Medicine Summit, she's been on Explore the Space podcast. She's a real visionary. She's created something very, very special there. So if you've got some CME budget, make sure you set it aside so you can come to the Women in Medicine Summit. You will not be disappointed. Explore the Space podcast will be sponsoring it again this year. I'm really excited I get to speak this year, so I look forward to seeing you there. Check out www.womeninmedicinesummit.org and get registered so we can see you in Chicago in September. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to Explore the Space podcast wherever you like to listen to shows. And if you have a minute to leave a five-star rating and review, that really helps us out as well. Having said all of that, this is a good one. I'm, I'm really delighted having Chelsea and Jeff come on to talk about this topic and the way that they're approaching diversity, equity, and inclusion at the University of Chicago in a way that is reproducible, that is sustainable, that is effective. Very, very, very special. So let's get to it. We've got Dr. Chelsea Dorsey and Dr. Jeff Matthews. 
Chelsea and Jeff, welcome to Explore the Space Podcast. This is exciting to have you both. You are in the city that I love, Chelsea. You're in Chicago. It's a city that stole my heart last year. How how is Chicago today? Chicago's great. It's actually sunny today, which is unique for the winter season, I think. Um, <laughs> but yeah, everything's great here. Thanks so much for having us. Absolutely, Jeff. We're getting buffeted in California by extraordinary weather. And one of the things I think to myself that makes me feel better about it is it can't be as cold as Chicago. Do you know what's happening in California and is Chicago colder like it is in my dreams? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I grew up in New York and so California is not on my radar screen. Uh, so uh, living <laughs> here in in Chicago, uh, you know, the it's a Chicago is an amazing city. Uh, and uh, the secret is that if it wasn't for winter, everybody would live in Chicago. So we, uh, <laughs> we tolerate it here because it gives us the rest of the year. And actually, winter is, is, is pretty amazing in Chicago, too. We were talking a little bit before we started recording about kind of how we communicate and how communication modalities have changed over time. And one of the things that we were using heavily a while ago was email. And for me, email has become something that I do not like. And I want to sort of start here because we're talking about a, a, a critical topic within the profession of medicine, within American society at large. How do we increase in all respects the work around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And when I say all, that's like capital A, capital L, capital L, boldface, underscore. It's, it's, it's one of those things that when we look back, we're going to say this was a critical piece of the evolution of our nation in the year 2023 and onward. How do we communicate around it? And I asked you both to send me some of the things that you've been working on. And Chelsea, you did something that I thought was awesome that I actually haven't seen in an email before. You sent me the materials, and then you sent me a little bit of narrative underneath it, but you put a couple of the sentences of your own text in boldface. And I was really struck by that. It's a communication tool that I find so ineffective and so boring, um, and it's not timely and all of these things. When I saw that, I was like, that is smart, because it took me exactly where I think you wanted me to go, and there's no sort of time wasted. Was that intentional? Do you do that regularly? I do. Um, I think that uh, I try to keep my emails short and that one wasn't. <laughs> so I wanted to make <laughs> sure I directed your attention to kind of the most important part, which is, you know, what this conversation was going to be all about. So it is a tactic that I use at times. Sometimes I use it with Jeff to make sure he knows what we're going to be talking about or, or the message that I want to get across. But yeah, definitely. Jeff, when you're sitting in, you know, the 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 chair sort of at the top, right, of the big department, how important is it for you when you're working on a variety of strategic, strategically important objectives to have that sort of clarity in communication, whether it's sensitive subject matter, whether it's time sensitive subject matter for your team to know when you're all communicating, let's be clear. Let's be concise, but let's make sure we know what's a priority. Is that something that you've taken on? And is that something that you kind of coach around or expect? Uh, no, until you brought it up, I actually hadn't thought about it in that those terms. But I, I, I think that we're getting better at it. Um, I, I, I think that there is uh, communication and evolution. Email, as you mentioned, it uh, tends to be very inefficient. Uh, and we probably have a, a very difficult time sorting out the spam from the content. Uh, 
uh, you know, when uh, people send me long emails, I usually will respond to them. Do you need a publisher? Uh, and totally. it, because, it, it, you know, I think the ability to telegraph the important things and get get it out in a short message is, is pretty important. But I do think it, it highlights, um, uh, you know, one of the challenges that we have in leading an organization these days, which is that communication is always on. Uh, and so while you and I will be texting at night about uh, about uh, an album we wanted to listen to or uh, about uh, about Chicago food. In fact, you know, the texting happens all night long. I'll get a text at five in the morning because somebody was just happened to be thinking about something and thought that that was a good time to text me about it because it was on their on their mind. Uh, so setting the limits uh, around that and the expected response times to texts and emails and other forms of communication uh, is is important. We uh, something that we have talked about and Chelsea, maybe you want to uh, amplify on this is the work uh, around how do we shut off um uh, you know, the day and how do we uh, allow people uh, to uh, separate from work when we are constantly in communication, responding on weekends, responding on nights, and that extends to the clinical practice as well. But uh, Chelsea, you know, I've, I've talked about this uh, before and you've given me some uh, you know good advice over, over years about this. <laughs> I am not, I am not expert at this. I am like continuously trying to figure out best ways to disconnect from work and um, I haven't figured out the like secret to success there yet. But um, one thing I have done uh, is um, started to do some activities that force me to uh, disconnect from work. I actually just started a, a pottery class, which I take every Sunday now. Um, and I almost can't think about work and be like doing that at the same time. So I guess I, I force myself to do that. But it's hard because I um, feel very passionate about my roles in the hospital. And so I want to make sure the things that I said that I was going to do during the week actually get done. And sometimes that means having to do them on the weekend or Friday night at 7 p.m. And that's the only way that um, I feel whole at the end of the day is that I was able to actually like check that box. So I, I have not figured out the like secret to all of this. It's a, it's a struggle. That's going to be the challenge. And I think I don't say that as some big revelation. I think we know this. But when we're doing any sort of work, but particularly work that is fraught with challenge and pressure and expectation and novelty, right? Doing DEI work within the Academy of Medicine is pretty new, especially at the voltage that you both are doing it. So making sure we can do it longitudinally, because it's not like it's going to be done in a week is really, really essential to this, right? The 5 a.m. text messages and these sorts of things. Like, I, I do text Jeff, but I, I, I am mindful. Like, we're two hours apart, and I try to be careful. Like, I'm not texting him after 9 o'clock, and I also know that if, if I was overstepping Jeff, <laughs> maybe a little late, but Jeff would be like, dude, Shapiro, you have to stop. Like, it, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to bed. Uh, but that all being said, I think it's important that we do set those expectations so that this work can be done longitudinally. and. Chelsea, for you, when you're doing, when, when you started off in this space, I got the sense based on the, the things that you sent me and based on your pinned tweet on Twitter, which was tweeted out <laughs> on my birthday, April 28th of last year, the biggest challenge getting that started was this, this idea of typecasting. And that was an article that you wrote, open source, links in the show notes. It's a really good piece, nice and short, really concise, but hard hitting. Typecasting feels like a 
big boulder when you sort of open the door to the DEI work. I didn't understand it fully until I read that. Can you break down this idea of typecasting? Because we think about it in terms of actors and actresses and, you know, uh, motion pictures and such things. I hadn't thought of it in terms of healthcare before, and it was pretty striking. Yeah, um, that was actually a fun piece to write just because it's um, kind of thoughts and ideas that go through my mind all the time. But particularly for these DEI roles, I mean, women and people of color are often put into the roles. And um, hopefully in most circumstances, it's because they have um, expertise in the area. These are, again, things that um, I think about a lot. I've held roles in the past that have been focused on DEI related issues. Um, but it can also make you feel at times, am I getting put in the role simply because of that, of those characteristics? Um, and um, as we all know, I'm sure, um, you know, DEI doesn't necessarily, you know, hold the same weight when you think about things like um, promotion in academics, or at least not at this point. Um, and so are you kind of pigeonholing someone or putting someone um, in a corner by putting them in a DEI role where they can't explore some of their other talents um, and hold other leadership positions? And so that was that editorial was an opportunity for me to kind of introduce that idea to people because it is, again, something I think about a lot. And Jeff, for you, as someone who had when this article came out and when the energy behind diversity, equity, and inclusion in healthcare really took place. You were already at a, a lofty place. I mean, you've already accomplished a great deal and you've had a variety of promotions and you've led large organizations. How did that sit for you? What was that learning curve like for you? And what was the sort of sense of energy and responsibility like for you? It's a great question, Mark. Um, the, the article came out after... Uh, Chelsea and I had actually had a number of discussions about it because I think initially um, she was wondering whether it, 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 whether, you know, how did I feel about, you know, putting that kind of an article out there? Did that put me in a bad light or did that, did that um, somehow say something about our approach that I was, you know, being insensitive to or something? Uh, but I, I, I think it's actually a good example of uh, of organizational learning, it wasn't a, a, a an idea that uh, I had fully understood when when she began to explain it to me, and then when she wrote it, it was like, of course, I see that. And if you look around the country, uh, there is a tendency to put uh, women and individuals from underrepresented backgrounds in these roles as uh, a, a, almost like an opportunity that's unique and not, you know, the sort of traditional path, you know, to section chief, division chief, department chair role. And to the extent that it takes somebody out of that mix, it's, it's you know, that needs to be acknowledged. More importantly, I think it says something about how uh, DEI roles are sometimes conceived within departments uh, as a thing over to the side. And what we've done in our department that, while maybe not unique, is something that I think has helped sustain uh, us, uh, is, is that the activities around DEI are baked into every uh, activity of the department uh, and every structure of the department. So it's not like there's 
uh, all the work of the department, promotions, compensation, clinical activities, educational roles, research efforts that happen. And then there's the DEI work. Uh, so, you know, Chelsea serves in, in, in a major leadership role in our department. And there's not uh, an event that happens, including budget meetings, where she's not deeply involved in. And, and that um, the insight that she brings to the, the table and the questions that she asks makes us rethink our, our approach and particularly our traditional approaches. So it actually has become a very expansive uh, role and probably a more powerful role in our department than many of the traditional um, uh, leadership roles. So I think one needs to think about it in, in that way. One of the things that was the most striking from the the materials that you sent me was the way you have reformatted the morbidity and mortality reports at your institution for the Department of Surgery, and that the the equity lens and the scorecard is now folded in. And my goodness gracious, like I would I would pay to sit in on one of those and just sort of experience what that looks like and juxtapose it with my experience in surgical M and M's from back in the day, which I loved. They're amazing learning experiences, but that new piece I think would just add so much to it. And just getting back to the materials that we have in the show notes and that you sent me, the first thought that I have was not these articles are great or this is important. It was you're doing this with the same level of seriousness, gravitas, and just grind as you would any other strategic objective. It's not different. You weren't sending me posters of a some webinar. You weren't sending me the university patting itself on the back for doing this. It was just, we're just grinding just like we would for anything else. This is totally normal. This is standard work. It's a strategic objective. And we do the same things that we do to push any other strategic objective. Chelsea, am I reading that right? Am I seeing that approach the way you're trying to implement it? No, I think you're reading it um, correctly. Um, And it took us a little while to like, figure out what this was going to look like, because it was a new role um, in 2020. We like, you know, many departments um, across the country were trying to figure out how to do this better. And so I remember Jeff and I having some like some conversations, like meetings at the beginning where I was bringing up like hard topics. And I think he was a little surprised, like, oh, I guess I think we're doing this. Like we're talking about these um, high level issues and then we realized we didn't have monthly meetings on our calendars. And he was like, I meet with all my other vice chairs monthly. We need to be doing that. And I was like, yeah, we need to be. Do- so it's, it, you know, we did, it wasn't obvious, um, like how to do this at the beginning. It's definitely been an evolution, but definitely I, my role as vice chair of DEI is viewed the same as our chief quality officer, the same as our vice chair for uh, perioperative services. We all, you know, have equal say at the table. I'm involved in all of the same activities and uh, communicate with Jeff in the same way. Jeff, for you, in terms of this infrastructure creation, how much of it was instinctive? How much of it? Yeah, we need a monthly meeting. We need metrics. We need uh, touch points. We need staff. How much of it was instinctive and how much of it was this is an exercise in stepping into tension? This is unfamiliar for me and I need to reach out to people who can teach me things and help me better understand myself so I can lead more effectively. How, how did you sort of balance those two pieces in starting this? Well, I, I guess I, I, I didn't really balance them. Um, I really was very focused on the latter, which is that which is that um, this is um, not necessarily uncharted territory, but it's it's um, it's work that the more one thinks about it is deeply in 
engaged with everything that a Department of Surgery does. And if you are open to conversations, and uh, including uncomfortable conversations, and you're willing to flatten the hierarchy of an organization, you hear things and you see opportunities that you wouldn't un- uh, ordinarily see. One of the reasons I think we have been uh, successful is because Chelsea is a very clear thinker uh, and she's a very comprehensive thinker. Uh, and she was able to uncover ideas and opportunities and create lists of potential directions that we could go in. Uh, the supports then came after. Once we started having these conversations and we saw how deep the, these ideas penetrated into the work of the department, we realized, okay, well, okay, what is our budget going to be? And what are the, you know, actually, uh, I would say the, the, the DEI, most of the vice chairs don't have a budget. Uh, uh, Chelsea actually has a, has a budget and there is staff and there is uh, deep engagement uh, for this work. And as the, the structure uh, came together and we started to realize that and we bucketed it ultimately into six bodies of work and six subcommittees uh, of work, we realized that each of them had significant uh, amounts of need. So the, the administrative support, uh, the budgetary support, et cetera, all came after. It wasn't like it was immediately obvious and intentional. It had to be built in one step uh, at a time. But we were fortunate because we had a very engaged group of leaders in the department and a very uh, broad team that uh, wanted to participate uh, in the work. And we were successful, I hope, at at least semi-flattening the hierarchy uh, you know, to, to, to be able to get these ideas out there. As you were doing the development work, Chelsea, in that space of trying to think very clearly so that when you go and meet with your leadership team, you can bring them clear ideas, clear objectives, clear expectations, what was one of them that the night before the meeting with Jeff felt, this is uncomfortable, this is going to be a conversation that for me might feel uncomfortable, for him might feel uncomfortable, we're doing it anyway, because it's the right thing to do. What was one of those? And what were the sort of levers that you pulled to help yourself move through that? You get to go first, Jeff, the same question will come to you right after. <laughs> Let's see, there's many to choose from. <laughs> Uh, and I also, let's see, I can't like give too many details, but whenever we're talking about recruitment and uh, people we're trying to bring in, people we want to retain, just personnel uh, conversations and really um, trying to keep it real with him uh, from that standpoint, I think that members of our department feel comfortable coming to me when there are issues going on and policies that potentially need to be changed. And it's my job, you know, part of my job is to be in an advisory role to the chair. And so I try to really be honest and just let them know, um, you know, what people are feeling in the department. And that, that was hard for me at the beginning. I mean, I, so I was an assistant professor when I started, I barely knew Dr. Matthews. And like, I got nervous before like my Zooms, I was like sweating because I was like, how am I going to sit here with this famous surgeon and like tell him how it is? But I'm comfortable with that now. <laughs> We're, we, we need to spend some time, I think, maybe on, on another episode teasing out the how that comfort level came, because I think there's going to be a lot of people who heard what you just said and are really going to feel it and are going to feel a lot of it from a variety of different perspectives, all of which are valid. 
um, and need to be solved one way or the other, whether they're people who are coming at it from a place where they're just, they are not prepared to acknowledge this, but have to, or people who are really interested and are really trying to move things forward. And I think that the trailblazing and the skill set that you've built here is super important. But I do want to hear from the from 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 your counterpart, Jeff, for you, subject matter that maybe the night before the meeting was like, this one is going to be tricky for me. And and what was the process to move through it and just get that get it get it done and move through and step into that tension? I would say that I can't actually think of a time when I was uh, uncomfortable the night before about a conversation that Chelsea and I were going to have. Um, I can remember many conversations when the, it went down a path that I hadn't <laughs> thought about that it, be, it became uncomfortable. And, and, and Chelsea and I laugh about these uh, because we have we've had many really interesting uh, uh, discussions around it, particularly around uh, the, the third rail of, of, uh, of uh, everything the department chair does, which is compensation um, and transparency. And um, we, we, we laugh about this one all the time. <laughs> Uh, because you know the the, the challenge, um, and and now it, you know, she understands and 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 sees this from a different perspective than she started with, and I see it from a different perspective than when I started with how how perceptions of what transparency means about comp equity and what the unintended consequences are of one fixing something in one direction um, uh, versus another direction, and really sort of understanding how it goes. Um, and, and I would typically uh, react with the normal defensiveness. To say that you know this line of inquiry is directed at me personally, or it's directed at my integrity, or it's directed at my uh, you know department's attitudes and approaches to things. And there have been many times when I've just had to sort of get over that and actually hear what's being said, and realizing it's 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 a broader question that's being asked, and it's a question of uh, not how I see it, but how. Uh, many people throughout the organization would see a particular issue. I can think of another uh, conversations that we've had as we've tried to remodel our walls and halls um, and figure out, you know, what are the activities that we are going to celebrate and how do we put the uh, the present and the future in the context of the past? Uh, and these are um, topics where um, uh, uh, it's not a matter of how do Chelsea and I see it, because we'll we'll often agree, uh, but we'll often disagree on the on the same topic. But it's how do we get all the voices that need to be heard, and are we having the right voices at the table? So it's not usually in these one on one conversations. Actually, I can say that sometimes uh, Chelsea will give me a a, um, a heads up that a topic that we're going to be addressing in a committee meeting might be one that has some landmines in it, and so she does a good job of helping me think through um, you know how I'm going to respond. Uh, to some issues. And that's a good example of where the dynamic between us has worked really, I think, really effectively, um, is that we're starting to be able to read each other's minds about these uh, about these issues. I think that speaks volumes about relationship maturation, right? Moving from that place of in the middle of a meeting, a topic arrives that makes you feel some kind of way to now we have anticipation, right? And I love to think about the relationship that surgeons have where when you're actually in the operating room together, you're anticipating one another's movements during a complex case. And you know that this instrument needs to go here and you're about to do this and you're playing chess instead of checkers. Chelsea, do you feel like that the, the dyad relationship is maturing, is continuing to mature? And I think most importantly, when you have sort of a sense of what's happening around the rest of the country, is it maturing apace or are you far ahead of where other sort of DEI leadership dyads are? 
That's a tough question. If we were t- if we're talking about the leadership and the interactions that Jeff and I have, I think we're ahead of the curve. If you're talking about just DEI in general, I this is something I think about a lot is and when I took on the role, which I was not I was I'm like a pessimist and so I I was not like honestly like overly like excited <laughs> like initially because we were, you know, doing this in 2020 in the middle of a crisis and even back then I was thinking you know, at some point, these topics are going to feel like less sexy to people. People aren't going to want to engage as much as they do right now. Um, and so that's, I think, where we're at. And it's not specific to our department. I think across the country, people, DEI leaders in particular, are trying to figure out how to keep the ball rolling and keep people motivated and uh, interested in uh, continuing to engage uh, in these efforts. I think from a leadership standpoint, I think, I, I don't know if I should use the word unique, but I think we are ahead of the curve as far as kind of how we've built things um, in our uh, department and how Jeff and I interact. I think it's a, a really astute observation because what I think you both have done that is so smart is, again, that bedrock of rigor, uh, the, the, the myriad papers the infrastructure creation, the normalization of behaviors so that this is just part of standard work. It doesn't, it, it'll experience the voltage drops in the same way that a budgetary process will experience a voltage drop, but it doesn't have to be different. It doesn't have to be unique anymore. It's part of the normal work. For you, Jeff, as you're having those same conversations and, I, and, and kind of idea creation with your peers, do you feel like what you've created is far ahead. Do you get pushback when you go to meetings or conferences or have conversations with others who are trying to create these diets? What sort of sense do you have around what you've created here, how normal it is, and almost generalizable? It it depends upon who I'm talking to, Mark. Uh, There is, within academic surgery, I think that that there is – any increasing willingness of chairs in traditional um, academic departments to realize the importance of DEI work and to they, and perhaps they view us at University of Chicago and a handful of other places around the country as on that leading edge of what what is possible. Uh, uh, you know what can how can we get beyond the quick wins? Uh, you know with DEI and how to make something sustainable. I think as members of our team go out and present some of the work that we've done in our department and try to see are some of these ideas scalable. I think we we, we feel that there are some elements of it that are uh, scalable. You mentioned the uh, the M&M work and the work around bias uh, and um, uh, access issues that we uh, discuss now routinely in our uh, M&M. That's certainly scalable and, and uh, could be adopted anywhere. But I think the world of surgery is a much bigger and uh, deeper place. And if you talk to leaders uh, such as uh, Dr. Patricia Turner, who's the executive director of the American College of Surgeons and also a member of our uh, faculty, you see that the the there are pockets of not, I would say, resistance, but there are, there are alternative uh, viewpoints on it, the way our country is divided uh, around uh, issues related to DEI and and now it's now it's a, almost used in a well not almost but it's used in a pejorative way it's you know wokeness and all this and I think that the there is a tension between the the field of surgery broadly probably other academic uh, or other uh, specialties within 
uh, medicine and what universities and universities that are based in cities are seeing versus what's happening in other places of the country. And there, there's still a lot of debate as to how fast uh, or uh, is is this political, uh, is this ideological, or is this addressing something that's more fundamental to healthcare? We believe that equity and uh, the inclusion lens is critical to to surgical quality, and we see that happening, and to surgical career development. Um, but I don't think that's universally shared. I w- yeah. So I was going to comment. One of the things that I think we have found really helpful as we've been moving along is. We started things off with an environmental scan and needs assessment of our department. And to Jeff's point, each kind of department or organization or whatever community you're talking about is going to be different, is going to need different things. And so um, we crafted this uh, 100 question survey is probably a little too long, but um, 100 question survey. And it included both quantitative and qualitative questions. But we use that information to really inform us as we were moving you know, forward over the last two and a half plus years to understand what people in our department um, needed, where we needed to focus our attention. And it's our plan to do that on a regular basis. We're actually in the process of figuring out what the next iteration of that is going to look like. And we're going to be doing a similar survey this uh, summer. But I anticipate we're going to get some different responses. I hope there's um, some improvement in some areas. But I bet there's there's things that are are a lot different than the first time we did it. But I think those types of activities can be really helpful for departments to get an understanding of where they need to start. And I'll add that I think that it was helpful, especially for a bunch of doctors and surgeons to have data to like start the process that we had, you know, um, sessions where we went through the results with everyone. Everyone was invited to. But it was important, I think, for us to all be like at the same place when we started this, like the, these are the facts. This is what it is. It's, it's so interesting that you say that, because as you lay in this, we've talked about this idea of rigor and a creation of structures that are just the same as they would be for any other strategic objective. Got to have metrics, right? There has to be something that you can measure. So if we're saying we believe that. DEI work is critical to surgical quality and outcomes as well as career development for surgeons. What are the metrics that you're then able to track? Because that's a really powerful central dogma, right? That's a that's a hard one to push back against to say, no, those things aren't important and we shouldn't be doing everything possible to optimize them. That's a, that's a tough one. What metrics can you kind of say for Q1, Q2, Q3? We see these things, Chelsea. What are the ones that really stand out for you as things that you can then come back and say, this is where the impact is. So this is a tough question uh, for many different reasons. So part of it is because of the way we structured DEI, it's literally like part of everything that we do in the department. Right. So how do you measure right. like everything? So that's <laughs> right. hard. <laughs> yeah. And then and then the other piece of it too is so this the environmental scan that we created. You know, Jeff and I talked about this before we had folks take it. We wanted it to be, at least at that time, to be all internal data. We wanted to figure out, you know, the goal was not for it to be research uh, because we felt like people thought we were going to use this for publications. They wouldn't necessarily be as honest. And as I said, we had you know some qualitative questions where we got really like rich you know, data from that. And so that becomes a challenge, though, right, if you're just using it for internal data, but then you can't like 
get on the national stage and talk about like this, this stuff actually worked and look at um, how things have improved from the survey. So it is really tough. I mean, you can certainly look at, and which obviously we do look at the numbers of, of underrepresented folks who come to be a part of our department. And all of our numbers there have slowly, steadily increased over the last three plus years. And we're, we're you know, well above um, AAMC national averages from that standpoint. Um, but we need to look at other things too. Like we completely kind of did an overhaul of our promotions process within the Department of Surgery a year ago. And we're still, you know, we're not, you know, we're still looking at data there, but looking at pace to promotion, you know, based on gender and those types of things. So that's, I think those are going to be important ways for us to understand whether, you know, we've had like meaningful change with this work. I think that those sound like for sure the right places to start and things that people are familiar with too, that people would probably want to see be better or different at their home institution. And so impact there, I think would be immediately recognized and exciting. You mentioned national conferences. And so this brings me to something that having listened to the two of you for the last 30 minutes, the first thing that leaps to my mind, Jeff, when do we see the 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 Matthews Dorsey Roadshow? When do you guys take this to larger platforms? And have you already? The two of you have created very special and I think reproducible processes, work, ideas, philosophies that need a larger stage. And I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're on Explore the Space for sure. When do we see the roadshow? When are the two of you on stage together at the big national conferences and on news channels and more podcasts? The roof well, will smile. Sorry, man. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I would say that we're we are uh, we are doing that now. Um, yeah. uh, in fact, you know, there's so much. Uh, one of the one of the real uh, learning things I think for us both uh, in this uh, process is which elements of our work are things that can be written up in a way that um, uh, feels like there's rigor, feels like there's a roadmap, and it feels like there's things that, that uh, can be reacted to. I can tell you that I get asked typical visiting professor gig and, and, and talk about our work in growing leaders uh, here. And I um, usually devote a, a substantial mar uh, amount of the, you know, those sessions to the work that Chelsea and her team do. But I think that this has, uh, we've now seen in presentations just last month in Houston, where uh, some of this work was, uh, was discussed, uh, a real appetite, to get out and write and publish uh, about this more for, uh, for, for people to, to, to hear about it. You know, I, I, we haven't been invited on any TV shows, but, but uh, you know, <laughs> You know, I, I think the podcast work is, uh, you know, is it's a good place to start. Actually, Chelsea, you might want to talk about the uh, Deep Cuts podcast that uh, that you started with the department. Yeah, this is one of the kind of exciting things that came out of our work. Um, so we have uh, it's kind of uh, led by a couple of residents as well as a bunch of the medical students who um, got really excited about this. So. We have, I think I want to say, with our 10 episodes in the first season, um, and they just started their second season. Um, it's meant to be kind of an opportunity for surgeons to come sit down and talk about the care that we care that we give to these patients and kind of the equity issues that come up. And it's hopefully a good space for people in the community to hear from us and understand our perspective and some of the challenges that we come up against 
uh, on a regular basis. So um, it's been kind of a really fun product from all of this. You know, one of the things, Mark, that I would say that it's really important to realize is that th this isn't something where like individuals are trying to take credit or be the, 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 the face or the spokesperson for one of the things that's been great about this effort is, as I mentioned earlier, the flattened hierarchy. So Chelsea was a little bit reluctant to take credit for the Deep Cuts podcast because it really was something that was launched by a team of our residents, but those residents got the courage to put that podcast together and to say, this is something that we could do because of the environment that Chelsea created with her subcommittees and them being able to talk through and prioritize uh, you know, ideas. So these initiatives are happening organically within our department and are being supported by the infrastructure that uh, we've created together here. And, you know, so it's not really in our nature necessarily to go out and be the face of this roadshow for this, uh, but it's try to get these uh, uh, ideas just out there in the normal course of work that departments of surgery do. I, I hear that. And I will just gently suggest that the two of you together are extraordinarily compelling. And the work that you have done is likewise extraordinarily compelling. These sorts of dyads for me are change drivers. And they demonstrate in the work that the you both have done and the intentionality with which you've done it and the honesty with which you've done it in the face of a, a tremendous time of upheaval in our country, I think has extraordinary value that I we can't fully understand. And I would really invite you both to embrace it. And I think that you both are here, right? We've, we've been riffing now for 40 minutes. I can't believe it's already been that long. It's extraordinarily compelling. And I think that there is real value for audiences to hear from you both individually, but also together and to see that work in the in the space of we're all just people trying to get better and trying to still be whole people and trying to do this in a sustainable way. I think it's extraordinarily compelling. Chelsea, as the work goes on, how do people follow you? We've got links of a lot of your great work in the show notes, but how do people follow along? Where do you like to send them and how do they follow you on well, thanks to Jeff, I joined Twitter a year ago. <laughs> so <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter um, at MD Dorsey. Um, and as I directed you, Mark, our diversity webpage uh, for the Department of Surgery is actually pretty active. And we try to keep it updated. Um, and there's some good content there, including um, you can get linked over to our uh, Deep Cuts podcast as well. So. Fantastic. And Jeff, you're on Twitter as well. A wide variety of content. How do people find you there? Uh, at JB Matthews. That's me. Fantastic. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm all over social media, probably too much. <laughs> I'm with you there. This was awesome. This was absolutely fantastic. I think that we will probably need to revisit this at some point. And when I come out to Chicago in September, maybe a discussion over one of Chicago's finest dishes, we can uh, we can continue this 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 evolution. But this was an absolute treat. Thank you both for making the time. Jeff, thank you so much. You're welcome. Good to be with you, Mark. Chelsea, Thanks, Mark. Out, this was totally awesome. Chelsea, thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it. My thanks once again to Chelsea and Jeff for joining me on this episode of Explore the Space podcast. This was a fantastic discussion. And just a reminder, the show notes are absolutely packed. There are a lot of links in there the work that Chelsea and her team have been doing, the things that she and Jeff have been working on. There's a whole bunch of links in there. Go check it all out. It's all open source. Uh, nothing should be behind a paywall. Great stuff to have, to read, to bookmark, to share. 
the way that change is made, it's often just that hard grinding work of laying an infrastructure, making things sustainable, making them reproducible and normalizing them. And that's what this was all about. Just an absolutely tremendous discussion. And I feel really fortunate that we were able to do this on Explore the Space podcast. Definitely check out the entire archive of Explore the Space podcast. There's lots of conversations like this, www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can email me, mark at explorethespaceshow.com as well. You can find me on Twitter at ETS Show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show, and definitely check out the Women in Medicine Summit, a tremendous conference coming up in Chicago in September, September 22nd, 23rd, where Jeff and Chelsea are from, as we talked about in the intro. It's a fantastic opportunity to, to meet amazing folks, to learn new ideas and approaches to really difficult and challenging topics within the profession, and also just life in general. And, and as we kind of all move through our lives and think about how we want to leave it a legacy and the impact we want to have women in medicine summit, which is for everybody is a really wonderful place to start with that idea formation. So definitely check out www.womeninmedicinesummit.org register. If you can, I will be there. I look forward to seeing you there as well. And I look forward to seeing you on the upcoming explore the space podcast content. We've got more episodes coming. We've got med lasso coming. We're right in the middle of the Ted lasso season. We are doing a med lasso episode each week. So there will be one of those coming later this week as well. Hope you can enjoy it all. Share it with your friends and your colleagues. That really helps us out. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts as well. We will be back soon. Until then, take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.